continue our series on Exodus. We begin a new section in Exodus today uh, where we will begin looking at what will eventually become the ten plagues. We're going to look at Mark's going to introduce the first plague next week and we're going to begin the process this week. And then we'll summarize uh, two through nine uh, and then we'll look at the tenth one um, very closely, which is the death of the firstborn male of every Egyptian household. Uh, But today we have kind of the introduction to that, the setting of the scene. Uh, So let's ask for the Lord's help as we pray and um, as we, excuse me, let's ask the Lord's help as we read uh, that He would help us. Uh, So Father, help us as we read your text and we hear it preached. Lord, give us your spirit that we might attend to the reading and preaching of the word. You might change us by your spirit. Make us more and more into the image of Christ. Pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Exodus chapter 7, looking at verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Do you know what a shot across the bow is? Do you know what this is? It's a naval term. When a superior warship with more power, bigger, more guns, more sailors, comes alongside a smaller warship that that it would like to see stop or change its behavior to surrender, that sort of thing. Um, The goal is to fire a cannon or one of our big old guns we have on our ships now as close to the bow or the front of the ship as possible without hitting it and making a big splash, communicating that you better do what I want you to, otherwise I'm going to blow you out of the water. You don't have a chance. You don't have a choice. It's a shot across the bow. Well, today in our text we have a shot across the bow. For the next several chapters, from chapter 7 through 12, we're going to see a battle ensue between God and Egypt, between God and Satan, between Moses and Pharaoh. There's a lot going on here. 
God will rain down the ten plagues of judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt, ending with the greatest and worst plague of all in which the firstborn son of every Egyptian household dies. All those who don't have the blood of the lamb, Jesus, blood of the lamb over their lentils. We'll look at 2 through 9 in summary, as I said earlier, and and, uh, Mark's going to introduce us next week to the plagues and some really cool things going on there. Every plague, I'll give you this hint, every plague is directed towards a god of Egypt. It's really cool to see. But the battle is not joined yet. This is just the opening shot. The shot across the bow, warning Pharaoh what is to come. Warning Pharaoh in his hard, hard heart, aware of what is to come. In our time together this morning, we want to look at how this drama unfolds and how it points us to Christ. And as we think this week of the National Day of Prayer, what can we learn from this text and how we ought to pray for our nation this week and every day? Well, who are the belligerents, the, those who are involved in this battle Who are involved in the opening shots of this war? Who are the opposing parties? You have the physical forces and you have spiritual forces. You have the physical forces, you have the good guys. Moses and Aaron. Our text falls on the heels of Moses meeting God and God says, Hey, go again and and tell Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Uh, And he says in verse 30, Moses being a little recalcitrant still, being a little scared still, says, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? I'm unskilled. Who am I to go before him and tell him, let my people go? Don't you know, Lord, what happened last time? That it just made it worse for him? That their slavery was doubled, tripled, quadrupled? It was worse for the Hebrews when I went and told them to let my people go. Now, Moses had forgotten that that's exactly what God said was going to happen. But we can understand the fleshly perspective, while we would be a little hesitant about going back into the presence of Pharaoh after all this has gone down. But this time Moses and Aaron really do obey. Twice in our text, our text calls attention to this phrase that they did just as the Lord commanded them. God speaks to Moses again in verse 1. And we read that Moses is going to be just like God to Pharaoh. Moses is is God's emissary, his ambassador, his prophet. He will not speak of his own accord. He will speak on behalf of the Lord through Aaron. We get some hope here, right? We're a lot like Moses. Sometimes we do just as the Lord commanded. But it's often on the heels of not doing just as the Lord commanded. The Lord uses broken vessels like us, like Moses, to achieve his amazing ends, like getting his people out of Egypt. Well, those are the good guys on the, on the good guy ship, the big ship. And on the other ship, you got the bad guys. The physical forces here are Pharaoh and his magicians. This isn't the first time that we've seen Pharaoh. We've met him before, but, but we should be aware that this is a different Pharaoh than the opening chapters of Exodus. That, that chap, those chapters, that, that, <clears throat> that Pharaoh who sought to kill Moses and killed all the babies, that Moses has died. This is a new Moses. But he's not a good dude. Okay? He's not a good man. He's an unbeliever for sure. Uh, but, but more than that, he's a tyrant and he is opposed to the reign and rule of God. 
And he has brought down great hardships upon God's people. He has messed with God's firstborn son. We're introduced this week, in this passage, to the magicians, the Egyptian magicians. We're going to see them a lot as we look at the ten plagues. They're going to keep popping up until finally they can no longer do what God does in his plagues. They're going to keep popping up. But, but here are the things. They have real power. They are able to reproduce the sign that Aaron did of throwing his staff down on the ground and, and turn it into a serpent. It wasn't a smoke and mirrors. It, it, that actually happened. That's because they're not just serving the false Egyptian gods. They're serving Satan. They're serving Satan. This is what leads us to the spiritual forces. We have the physical forces going on here. Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh and his magicians. But there's much more than meets the eye, as they say, Transformers. More than meets the eye here. On July 19th, 1812... A month after uh, America declared war on Britain in what would become known as the War of 1812, two lone frigates, a frigate's kind of a medium-sized ship, but more and more warfare would be fought by frigates. Two lone frigates met 400 miles off the coast of Halifax, Canada. It's the opening salvos of the War of 1812. The American USS Constitution, which would later become known as Old Ironsides, met up with the British Royal Navy uh, frigate HMS Guerrier. Now, the, the British Navy at this point had not lost a battle, a skirmish, a war in generations. They were the best of the best. But they were huge. Get this, the British had more ships in their navy than we had guns in our navy. Let me say that again. The British Royal Navy had more ships in their navy when the War of 1812 broke out than we had guns on all of our ships. That's a staggering fact. And these two frigates met off the coast of Halifax. And do you know what? The great Royal Navy was defeated. Thirty minutes after battle enjoined, they had struck their flag, they had surrendered, and the captain was offering his sword to the American captain. Soon their sinking ship would be burned and committed to the deep. Here's the thing, the invincible British army, the navy, who had ruled the seas, suddenly is defeated. And here, Egypt, cocky, proud, sure of their own power, they're going to be defeated too. But here's the thing, these frigates weren't just doing war by themselves, were they? They were doing the shooting. But it was part of a a much larger conflict. They were out in the middle of the sea fighting, but only because there was a great larger war going on. And we see this with the Egyptians and Moses. Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh and his magicians. This is a skirmish, like like Vietnam of the Cold War, of Korea of the Cold War. Here is a skirmish of a larger spiritual battle that has gone on from Genesis chapter 3 and will continue until Christ comes again. It is a spiritual warfare and battle that we are a part of every day and continues even to today. That today you and I are involved in this spiritual warfare of which this was merely a skirmish. 
You have the Lord on one side, the creator of all things, the maker of the heaven and the seas, these spiritual forces. And then on the other, you have the Egyptian gods backed by Satan. You know, it's no surprise that the Egyptians would choose as their primary symbol the snake. They would choose the snake after the serpent who is Satan in the garden. It's no surprise they both feared and worshipped the cobra, the one of the most venomous creatures God ever made. And so when they threw down the staff, it really did turn into a snake. The magicians really did have power, but it was power that came from the evil one. Well, this interaction ultimately points us to Jesus, doesn't it? Upon the cross where Genesis 3.15 is finally fulfilled, that that Satan will strike the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah will crush the head of the serpent. This happened on the third day when he rose from the dead. The Egyptians were playing with fire and they would get burned. Those who crucified Jesus were playing with fire and Jesus would be burned, killed, crushed, all according to plan, so that the serpent might be defeated. And so think about this, what the belligerence. Uh, as we think about the National Day of Prayer, we need to remember that our nation, every nation, the nations, are involved in a much greater battle than different um, Democratic, Republican parties or who's in office and who's not. Not that these things aren't important. There is a a larger battle going on, and it's a spiritual battle. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6, where we read of this battle, this battle, this war that is going on, even this day. Who is our battle against? Moses' battle wasn't against Pharaoh. Moses' battle was God's, God's war with Satan. Who is our battle with? As this great spiritual warfare is manifested in political decisions, manifested in court decisions, manifested in the culture going this way or that way, of hiring and firings, of of all of those things, the battle is not with those people. The battle is, we read in uh, chapter 6, verse 12 of Ephesians, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what our nation's caught up in. And what is our weapon? It is prayer. When we pray for our nation, we need to know there's something much bigger going on than what we see in the news. Well, what are the weapons of choice in this text? You know, it's interesting, uh, when you would have a shot across the bow in the times of sail, you'd have lots of different choices. You could shoot an iron ball, just a normal, solid iron ball, and it'd make a big geyser. Later, they would develop explosive shells, but you'd have to time it just right. You'd light the fuse, shove it down the cannon, and, and get it off the ship as soon as you could. And you'd have to time it just right so it hit the water and make a a bigger uh, splash. Or you had every sailor's nightmare, grape shot, which basically turned the cannon into a shotgun and it would tear up the water in front, showing what could be done to the flesh and blood of the sailors upon the enemy vessel. What are the weapons that are used here for the shot across the bow? It is a prophet, it is God's word, and ultimately it is signs and wonders. 
The first weapon of choice for the Lord is that of a prophet. It is of Moses and Aaron. In the text, it tells us uh, in verse uh, 1 or 2, it says that Moses will be like God to Pharaoh. The the Hebrew actually says that that, uh, Moses will be God to Pharaoh. That's not saying that he's suddenly divine. But when he speaks, he's no longer just speaking for himself. He is speaking on behalf of El Shaddai, God Almighty. This interaction between Pharaoh and Moses, when Pharaoh looks at Moses, he should see an emissary of the living God. The job of the prophet is not always a safe one, but they are always under the protection of God. And here Moses goes and addresses the most powerful person in all of the ancient world and says, thus saith the Lord. Well, of course, this points us to Jesus, doesn't it? Deuteronomy 18, 15 tells us there would rise a a greater prophet, a prophet like Moses, only better. And that is Jesus who would come, the Word made flesh, the true prophet, that when He would speak, He's not speaking for God, He is speaking as God. And we, as we think about the National Day of Prayer, what do we have to stand on? It is the Word of God. That is our weapon well, then you have the Word of God here in verse, uh, chapter 6, excuse me, Ephesians 6 verse 7 tells us that this is our true uh, um, weapon, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God made all things by the Word of His power. Thomas and Lizzie have a great children's book, and it, it, when it talks about um, creation, it says, God said, come light, and there was light. He said, come sun. Come moon, and there was a sun and the moon. Come seas, come dry land. God said, let there be light, and there was light. When God's word shows up, it is powerful. And when our Savior, who is the word of God himself, who speaks the very words of God so that when he says that your sins are forgiven, they really are. When he says, peace be still, there was both peace and stillness. And when he says, it is finished, it really is done. Finally, you have the signs and wonders. Look again at verses 10 through 12. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Picture this in your mind, this scene. Pharaoh's there, hanging out with his servant buddies. and In walks Moses and Aaron. Unwelcome, unbidden. Pharaoh's thinking, really? I thought we were done with this. Pharaoh's seeking to... Um, belittle, seeking to uh, expose Moses and Aaron as charlatans. He says, you know what? If if you're so legit, I want to see a sign. Do something special for me. So what does Moses do? He tells Aaron to take down the staff and take the staff and throw it on the ground. And what happens? It turns into a snake. From the Hebrew here, it is likely that it's a cobra. Which is interesting because this will be the exact same symbol that is on the headdress of Pharaoh standing right before him. And Pharaoh must have thought, oh, this is good. We've got this thing. 
We've got the snake thing down. So says, go get the magicians. Hurry, hurry, hurry. We get them. And, and so they, they come, many of them. We don't know how many, but it's more than one or two. And, and perhaps they circle Moses and Aaron and think, we've got this thing. And they throw their staffs down. And y'all, they really turn into snakes. And you have this one snake in the middle that belongs to Aaron, the snake of God. And then you have all around. You can just, I don't like snakes. You can just see this pit of snakes, perhaps heading towards Moses and Aaron. You think, ha, we got this thing. But to their dismay, the snake of God begins to gobble up every one of those snakes. Can you imagine their jaws, how far they must have dropped when they were shamed before Pharaoh, who is himself seen as a god? In the Egyptian mindset, you had gained something's power by eating it. And here's the god of Yahweh, oh, excuse me, the serpent of Yahweh, eating up. Gobbling up all those snakes. And then Aaron would have picked it up and it would turn back into a staff. How cool is that? Well, this is a great wonder. This is a great sign. The problem is, it doesn't convict Pharaoh of his sins. It hardens his heart. This is the same thing that would happen with the greatest sign and wonder, that of Jesus on the cross. You know, the signs and wonders in Egypt were meant to save God's people and to harden Pharaoh's heart. And we look upon our Savior upon the cross, and by the Spirit, He softens our heart that we might believe in Him and be saved. How many signs does our nation need? How many do we need before we repent and turn to the Lord? How many signs does our nation need before we will repent and turn to the Lord? You look up at the skies and you see between five and 10,000 stars of the naked eye. And some of those stars are actually galaxies. That's, that's amazing. That's, but it's a sign from God. And yet some people look up at that and say, oh, that's just by chance. And others are driven to their knees. Or the fact that the Word is preached on Sunday morning in our nation. Or the fact that we have freedom to, to, to worship. That we have food on our tables. How, how many more signs will it take? How many will it take? How do we pray for our nation? Nationally, a prayer in this week. We pray that God would use those signs not to harden the hearts of the people of America. But that they would look up at the stars... Look at their checkbooks and see His goodness to them. To see the rain that falls in their crops. See, they go to Walmart and buy food with money in their account and food on the shelves and say, you know what, there must be a God. And I want to learn more about Him. Because here's the thing. The outcome in Egypt was one of tragedy for Pharaoh and victory for God's people. Pharaoh was hardened by seeing this this display of power and he would be time and time and time again throughout the plagues. There's warfare going on in this text. Instead of Moses, Pharaoh and his, and his ship lowering their flag and raising the white flag of surrender, instead of stopping and submitting to the larger vessel, what do they do? They open their gun ports. The sailors are at their battle stations, and he is ready for war. But it is a war that God provokes. It is a war whose course is set from beginning with every moment and every response, carefully orchestrated by Yahweh. And it is a battle that Pharaoh will lose. And it's going to be a spectacular defeat. 
Verse 5 tells us, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God is making Himself known not only to His people, but also to His his enemies. The Egyptians will have no choice but finally to declare defeat and to admit that the Lord, Yahweh, is God. But this account, even the, the whole of the Exodus, is part of this larger conflict that points us to Jesus. And at the cross and at resurrection, we see in Colossians 2.15 that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. My friends, one day Christ will return and He will crush Satan under our feet. And He, Satan, will be thrown into the lake of fire forever, no longer to mess with God's people. So how do we pray for our nation, the National Day of Prayer this week? Nations come and go. Empires rise and fall. May we pray for great revival in our nation. That we would see that we deserve the plagues of Egypt and much, much more forever because of our sin. And yet, the Father has sent His Son. And whoever looks to Him for salvation will receive it freely. May there be a great revival in our land. May the Lord change our nation soon. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that the the cosmic powers, the forces of evil, that you have put them to open shame in Christ Jesus by raising him from the dead. Lord, we do pray for revival in our country. We pray that more and more would look to the great signs and wonders and hear the word preached, to hear the prophetic word uttered, and they would turn to you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.